Take your Bibles and open them to 1 Peter chapter 1. This morning we're going to be in verses 10 through 12, and I'll just admit to you up front, we're not going to get through all of this this morning. (laughs) There is a lot that is packed in here. But follow along as I read our text for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Peter says this, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. One American hostage was rescued from captivity in Iraq after experiencing firsthand the corruption and the wickedness of Saddam Hussein. And after being rescued, this American hostage said this, Despite all that I endured, I never lost my confidence in the basic goodness of people. Well, next to Saddam Hussein or Adolf Hitler, most people would look good. They would look like saints. But that's the problem. That's the problem. What most people do is they compare themselves with the wrong standard. You see, they'll compare themselves against the most wicked sinner instead of comparing themselves with the standard of goodness, which is God. And when we compare ourselves to the holiness of God, the perfection of God, it is then that we come to understand the reality of our own hearts. That we are not good. That we are corrupt to the core. You see, when our standard is God, then we come to realize that man is not good. But man is bad. Really bad. In fact, listen to what God, the ultimate standard of good, says about man. He says this about us. In Genesis 6-5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Jeremiah 17-9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says, There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Then Romans 5 tells us that the unbeliever is helpless, a sinner, in fact, listen to this, an enemy of God. The sinner, the unbeliever, is an enemy of God. Romans 6.17 says that we were slaves to sin. Galatians 5.19 describes the actions of unredeemed mankind and says this, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. If that's not enough for you, 
That's man. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says that unredeemed man is dead in their trespasses and sins. Dead. Spiritually dead. And then in Ephesians 2.4, Paul says that they are by nature children of wrath. Unbelievers. Children of wrath. Under God's wrath. And John even tells us in 1 John 3.10 that unbelievers are children, listen to this, children of the devil. Now, I recognize that this isn't popular today. The majority of pastors in America won't stand in a pulpit and tell people how bad they are. Because they think that that will drive people away. This doesn't make people feel good. Anybody feeling good right now? (laughs) But that's what the Bible tells us. That's what God tells us. God tells us in His Word that no one is good, no, not one. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because we are not good, but have sinned against a holy and righteous God, we therefore need what? Salvation. We need to be saved. And the amazing thing is that God could have left all of us in this state, right? Could have left all of us in our unredeemed state without salvation. He could have left all of mankind in their sorry state and rescued no one from their sin and been perfectly just to do that. Because all have sinned against Him. But God didn't do that. What has God done? God has chosen to save sinners. God has chosen to save sinners. That's why those two words in Ephesians 2.4 are so magnificent. They're so great. After Paul describes the horrible state of mankind that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, he then says in verse 4, but God. And it's at that moment that we read those two words that we should rejoice. (laughs) But God. God chose to act. God planned to save sinners. In fact, in 2 Timothy 1.9, it says that God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. It was His plan to save wretched sinners like us. And how did He do it? He did it by His grace. By His grace. And you see, that is what makes salvation so magnificent. So amazing. You see, if people don't understand how bad they really are, then they won't ever understand how desperately they need salvation. If you tell people they are good then why do they need Jesus? Why do they need a Savior? But the reality is, they are really bad. And because of their sin, they have been separated from a holy and righteous God and need to be saved from His eternal wrath. Because that's who they are. Children of wrath. Under God's wrath. And when they're truly saved, then that magnifies God's grace in their life. And then it makes salvation precious. It makes salvation beautiful. It makes salvation glorious. It makes salvation magnificent. And that's what Peter wants to remind these suffering believers about in our text here this morning. 
You see, the readers of Peter's letter were going through great persecution because of their salvation. Because of the faith that they had in Christ. And so Peter writes to them to remind them that even though the persecution is great, their salvation is greater. That even though things are difficult right now, things will be glorious in the future. And it's all because of the salvation that they have received from Christ. And so he wants to comfort these suffering believers by reminding them how great their salvation is. But the way in which Peter puts the magnificence of salvation on display for us is not how you and I would have done it. If someone was to ask you to tell them why you think your salvation is so great, you'd probably tell them something about being saved from your sin. Or about Christ's death on the cross. Or about being granted eternal life when you didn't deserve it. And all of those things are true, and they do magnify our salvation. But Peter approaches the magnificence of our salvation from a different perspective. Obviously, Peter is writing down Spirit-inspired words here. So that this here in our passage is exactly what God wanted him to write down. It's inspired by the Spirit of God. And Peter comes to the magnificence of our salvation not from personal experience of being saved from sin or having Christ die on a cross for our sin or from receiving eternal life, but he, he approaches it from the perspective of the prophets, the Holy Spirit, the apostles, and even angels. It's interesting. He takes a, a different approach to remind us how wonderful our salvation is. He tells us about the investigation of the prophets into this great message of salvation. He tells us about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who inspired the great message of salvation. He then tells us about the instructions by the apostles who announced this great message of salvation. And then he even tells us about the inquiry of the angels as they long to understand this great salvation. There are four different perspectives that we see here from Peter as he writes about the magnificence of salvation. And that's how we're going to break this passage down. We're going to see concerning this magnificent salvation, first, the prophet's investigation. Second, the Spirit's inspiration. Third, the Apostles' instruction. And then finally, the angels' inquiry. And as I said, we're not getting through all four of these here this morning. But let's begin by looking, first of all, at the prophet's investigation. The prophet's investigation. Notice verse 10. Peter says, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time. Stop right there. Now, Peter here is speaking of the prophets, and specifically who he is talking about here is the Old Testament prophets. The prophets of long ago, from Moses to Malachi. Men like Elijah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. All of those Old Testament prophets. That's who he is referring to here. These were men who were used by God to deliver the message of God to God's people. It was their job. They had divinely inspired revelation from God. And their job then was to give that revelation, that message to the people. They were essentially mouthpieces for God. What a prophet was. Oftentimes when we think of a prophet or someone giving prophecy, 
we often think about them revealing something that is going to take place in the future, right? That's oftentimes how people think of prophecy. Something that is going to happen in the future. And there were times when that was true. When God did use the prophets to speak of something in the future. But they also gave instructions from God and exhorted the people of God. And they even threatened individuals or nations as an ambassador of God. That if you don't do what God tells you to do, here is what is going to happen to you. They were mouthpieces for God. That was their job. That was their duty as a prophet. But the important thing to remember about a prophet is that they didn't speak their own words or their own thoughts. But they were to speak the message that they had received from God. Now, this doesn't mean that they didn't have their own thoughts or their own conscience or their own personality. They did. That all tied into how God was using them. But they weren't to give their own words to God's people. A prophet was never to do that. They were to give God's word to the people. In fact, Peter tells us about these men over in 2 Peter 1.20. And he tells us how these men were moved by the Holy Spirit as they spoke. Peter tells us, 2 Peter 1.20, But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. You see that? It didn't come from them. The prophecy was not of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's how prophets spoke. They were moved by the Holy Spirit and He gave them the words to speak. But prophets didn't just speak God's Word. They also did what? They wrote it down. They wrote it down. That's how we have our Old Testament. Our Old Testament was written by many of the prophets. They took the Word of God and they wrote it down. But here's the the amazing thing. Notice what Peter says here in verse 10. He says, The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. Notice those two phrases there. Careful searches and inquiries. That's what these prophets did. These here are two terms that are used to tell us not only what the prophets did, but also how they did it. What did they do? Notice Peter tells us there that they made careful searches. That phrase, careful searches, is one word in the Greek and it means to exert effort to find out or to learn something. To seek out or or to search for And it's intensified. This is an intense search or an investigation that is going on by these prophets. They're investigating. And Peter tells that there were inquiries that were made by them. The word inquiries there means to make careful inquiry or to try and find out. And this has the idea of searching for something that is hidden. It's like a a miner who is searching for gold. The gold is there hidden, and he's trying to search it out, trying to find it. But they didn't just investigate. They made careful and intensive investigations. Notice what Peter says there. Careful searches. What did these prophets do? They devoted their time to study and investigate the things that they had written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what was it specifically that they were investigating? Notice Peter tells us at the beginning of verse 10. Notice what he says there. As to this what? Salvation. What were they investigating? Salvation. They wanted to know. 
all about this salvation. These prophets devoted their time to study salvation. And let me ask you, is there anything better to study than to study salvation? Nothing. (laughs) It's nothing better than to study salvation. Nothing better in the world to study than that. To study the salvation that God grants to sinners who have sinned against Him, there is nothing better in the whole universe than to study that. And that's what these prophets did. They were devoted to studying either earlier prophets who had gone before them, who wrote down God's Word, or even their own writings. The prophets would study their own writings. In fact, Daniel gives us an illustration of this. Over in Daniel chapter 9, and verse 1, it says this, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books of the number of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord. Did you hear that? He's reading these books who are revealed as the Word of the Lord. Why? Because they're inspired by God, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And these are words, it was the Word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Who did Daniel study? Jeremiah. The prophets even studied the prophets. They studied their writings. Daniel also received visions from God which he didn't understand. In Daniel 7.15 it says this, As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by that was an angel that was there and began asking him the exact meaning of all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Daniel says, I received a vision and I didn't understand it. So I asked. And this angel revealed it to me, what the interpretation was. You see, there were things that were given to the prophets which they didn't understand, but they wanted to know. So what did they do? They devoted themselves to the study of God's Word. And specifically in relation to salvation. They investigated it. They wanted to understand salvation. So they studied it because they wanted to know all the things concerning salvation. You see, there were things that they didn't fully understand about what was to come. But they studied it. They wanted to know it. Now, does that mean that these prophets weren't saved because they didn't understand all the things about salvation that was to come? No. They were saved, but they were saved not having fully seen the accomplishment of salvation. Why? Because the Messiah hadn't come yet. They're living before the times of Christ, before the times of the Messiah. He hadn't come to live a perfect life. He hadn't gone to the cross to die for sinners. He hadn't risen again to conquer all sin and death. None of that had happened yet when these prophets were living. And so they hadn't seen the full accomplishment of the salvation that they had received. And yet they made careful searches and inquiries because they wanted to know about this great salvation that would be fully accomplished in the future. That God had revealed through them. Now, notice what Peter says there in the middle of verse 10. Notice he says that the prophets prophesied of the grace that would come to you. 
That is to his readers. They prophesied of the grace that would come to you. What does Peter mean by this? Does he mean that grace didn't come until the New Testament? No. It's not what he's saying here. But you see, there are a lot of people who make that false claim today. They will say that the Old Testament is only law and the New Testament is grace. That in the Old Testament, all that you see there is law. That's who God is in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, you see, oh, God of grace. And they'll make that false claim. As if God is not gracious in the Old Testament, but only in the New. But that's not true. In fact, let me ask you, what happened after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? Did they die? No. No, not right away. Eventually they did. But they just sinned against a holy and righteous God. What could God have done? Struck them dead right there on the spot. But God was gracious. God was gracious to them and allowed them to live. I mean, we see God's grace right at the beginning of the Old Testament in Genesis 3. God's grace is on display. And then we see it all throughout the Old Testament. David says in Psalm 86.15, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. That's in the Old Testament. God's a gracious God. Remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the eternal God who is eternally gracious. You see, grace is an attribute of God, which means His grace is eternal. Eternal grace. And that means He was just as gracious in the Old Testament as He is in the New Testament. His grace never changes because He is an unchanging God, right? He cannot change. Which means He's just as gracious in the Old Testament as He is in the New Testament. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But God's grace is not just one of His divine attributes. God's grace is also a divine person. God's grace is a divine person. Listen to what Paul says to Titus in Titus 2.11. He says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. God's grace has appeared. How has God's grace appeared? In Christ. In Christ the very one that the prophets longed to study and know about as they studied salvation. The prophets studied their own writings and the writings of other prophets and they longed to know more about this grace that was to come. And what did this grace include? It included not only the salvation of the Jews, but also of the Gentiles. That God was going to save both Jews and Gentiles. They knew that. The prophets knew that. How did they know that? They would have studied Isaiah 45.22, which says this, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. The prophets knew this. They studied to know of the Messiah who would come to bring salvation to the whole world. It's what they did. Which is why Peter says that there, uh, here in, in verse 10, that they prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Who's he writing to? Those that were suffering. Those suffering believers. 
They prophesied of the grace that would come to you. The prophets, when they wrote down their prophecies, they understood that they were writing not about their own generation, but about a generation that was to come in the future. They knew that. They understood that. They studied the Messiah who was to come in the future. A Messiah who would suffer according to Isaiah 53. A Messiah who would come and proclaim salvation according to Isaiah 61. A Messiah who would save sinners according to Zechariah 9.9. And a Messiah who would be triumphant according to Psalm 2 and many other Old Testament passages. And it was these prophets who were devoted to searching the scriptures and making inquiries about this great salvation that would come through the Messiah. They studied it. And they were devoted to the study of salvation because it was so great, so marvelous, so magnificent that they devoted themselves to it. And what were they seeking to know as they investigated the Scriptures? Look at verse 11, the beginning of verse 11. Notice what Peter says there. They were seeking to know what person or time. That word seeking there means to search out or to probe. And they were searching to know who the Messiah was. They wanted to know who this person was. Who is? is the Messiah that God has promised to come. Sadly, there are many Jews today who are still asking that very question. Because they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They've rejected Him. Therefore, they are not saved. But the truth is, the Messiah has already come. But these prophets are living at a time before the Messiah has come. And so they wanted to know, who is it going to be? Who is this person and when is he coming? In fact, isn't that what the last prophet, John the Baptist, wanted to know? Matthew 11.2, it says this, Now when John, while in prison, heard the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Jesus, are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? Are you it? I mean, for thousands of years, we've been wondering, who is the Messiah? Are you it? Are you the one, Jesus? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. John the Baptist had studied the prophets. He was a prophet himself. And John the Baptist had studied the prophet's writings and he wanted to make sure that Jesus was the one. And Jesus affirmed that to John and said that he is the one in whom the prophets wrote about. He is the Messiah. And how did he affirm it? I'll tell you how Jesus affirmed it. Listen to this. This is fascinating. Jesus affirmed to John the Baptist that he was the Messiah that the prophets wrote about by quoting the prophets himself. Jesus quoted Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61 in his response back to John the Baptist. He quoted the very prophets. What is Jesus declaring by quoting the prophets? That he is the one whom the prophets were searching for. He's the one that they were studying. They wanted to know who is the person? Who is the Messiah? Jesus says, I'm I'm he. In fact, isn't that what we just read in John 18 this morning? Looking for Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene. And what does Jesus say? I am. He is put in there if 
The translators put that in there in John 18. But literally what Jesus said is he gave them the name of God. He said, I am. That was his response. That's why they fell over. He's declaring himself to be God, the Messiah. You're looking for him? I am. I am the one that the prophets were all studying and wanted to know about. I am him. I am that person. And therefore, that was the time. Right? They're wondering what the time was as well. Well, that was the time. It was God's perfect time to reveal the Messiah that the prophets had been searching for. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 4.4, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. The person that they were searching for is Jesus. It's Him. And the time was fulfilled when He was born of the virgin. He'd come. And the prophets, they were seeking and searching to know who it was and when this time was that the Messiah would come. But why did they do all of this investigation and searching out? Because they knew how magnificent salvation is. They knew how precious salvation is. And so they devoted their life to study it and to know it. Let me ask you, do you search the Scriptures like the prophets did? Do you long to know more about this salvation that God has granted to you? We have it revealed to us in the New Testament. We have all the answers, right? They were looking ahead going, who is it? Who is the Messiah? When is He going to come? We now get to look back and we go, we know who it is and we know when He came. But how many of us devote our time to learning more about this amazing salvation that God has granted to us? Is it precious to you? Do you treasure your salvation? Sadly, many Christians take it for granted. But the prophets were devoted to knowing all about this salvation because they knew the magnificence of salvation. The grandness of the grace of our God. And they searched it and they devoted their lives to it. And so that's the prophet's investigation. Let's look at point number two. What we'll call the Spirit's inspiration. The Spirit's inspiration. And this points us to the magnificence of the message of salvation. Look again at verse 11, what Peter says there. Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Notice who was within these prophets as they wrote about the great salvation that was to come. Notice, Peter tells us here that it was the Spirit of Christ. Who is the Spirit of Christ? It's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. As one commentator says, for Peter and his readers, the Spirit of Christ was a natural Christian identification of the Holy Spirit whom they had experienced as followers of the Messiah. It's the Holy Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit within them. And as Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.20 and 21, they were moved along by the Holy Spirit to write down exactly what the Spirit wanted them to write down. That's how they knew what to write. The prophets knew what to write because the Holy Spirit revealed it to them and told them what they were to write down. This means that they wrote down, what they wrote down was not something that they thought up, but it was something that God had revealed to them through His Spirit. 
That's why you can go back through the whole Old Testament and see how the prophets' writings are all pointing to Christ. Right? It's all pointing to Christ. They're pointing to the future of a promised Messiah who is to come. How were they able to do this? How were these prophets able to do this? Because they wrote down exactly what the Spirit wanted them to write down. In fact, Peter tells us that the Spirit was indicating it to them. The Spirit was indicating it to them. That word indicating means to declare or to make clear. The Spirit was indicating to them or giving them the information to write down. It was the Spirit who was revealing this message about the Messiah who was to come. And He was telling them what to write down. Notice, it says, as He predicted. As He predicted. It was the Spirit who was giving these prophets predictions before it even happened. And what was being predicted? Notice Peter tells us two things at the end of verse 11. The sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. The Spirit put it within the prophets to write down and to tell us about the sufferings of Christ. That's why we read in Genesis 3.15 and Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and Zechariah 12 and 13 and many other prophecies in, in the Old Testament about the suffering of the Messiah. It's very clear in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come and He would suffer. Just read Isaiah 53. He's going to come and He's going to suffer. In fact, remember what Jesus said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus? Listen to Luke 24, 25. And He, that is Jesus, said to them, these disciples, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? He says, wasn't it necessary for the Christ to, to suffer? Come on, guys, you should have known that. How would they have known that? By reading what? Their Old Testament, the prophets. Read them. They'll tell you all about the sufferings of the Christ, the Messiah. And then, here's the amazing thing. Then, beginning with Moses, you know what that is? Genesis. Genesis through Deuteronomy. Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning Himself and all the Scriptures. Greatest Bible study to ever take place on planet Earth. <laughs> Think about that. And what did they study? The prophets. The prophets. And what did Jesus explain to them? He explained that He had to suffer. And He showed that to them by opening up their Old Testament. The Old Testament. But the Old Testament prophecies didn't just speak of the Messiah's sufferings, they also spoke of the glories to follow. That's what Peter says there in verse 11. The glories to follow. We read about this in Isaiah 9, in Psalm 2, in Psalm 24, in Daniel 7, and Zechariah 14. Passages that speak of Christ as the conquering King the one who will rule over his kingdom. The glories to follow. But who was it that revealed all this to the Old Testament prophets? The Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit revealed it to them. And therefore, what the prophets wrote down was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't just the Old Testament prophets' writings that were inspired. Look over at the end of verse 12. Notice what Peter says there. Peter now speaks of the apostles, and he says that the apostles preached the gospel to you by who? The Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The Holy Spirit not only inspired the Old Testament writings, 
written by the prophets, but also the New Testament writings written by the apostles. The whole of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit as the prophets and the apostles wrote down all of these truths about our magnificent salvation. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God. All of it. Old and New Testament. And then notice back at the beginning of verse 12, speaking of the prophets here, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. The Spirit had revealed to these prophets that the fulfillment of the prophecies that they wrote about concerning the sufferings and the glories of Christ, those were not for their generation. It was not for them. But it was for a future generation. In fact, we also see this in Hebrews chapter 11 where we read in verse 13, all these, that is all the patriarchs, they died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. You see, even all of those patriarchs in the Old Testament, Abraham, even Sarah, Moses, all of these guys in the Old Testament, they looked ahead down in a distance and they knew that God would fulfill His promises. But they hadn't experienced the promises yet. Right? Because they didn't see the suffering Messiah. They didn't see Christ resurrected from the tomb. But they believed. They had faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about, right? It's the hall of faith. You see, the prophets were living in a time of not yet. There wasn't already. (laughs) It was a time of not yet. The Messiah had not yet come. And it was revealed to them that the fulfillment wouldn't happen in their lifetime. But they received it from a distance. You see, today we look back to the fulfillment of God's promises, right? We have the New Testament. We read through the New Testament. We see all of these promises that God had fulfilled. And we're looking backwards. But they, the Old Testament prophets, they looked forward to the time of the fulfillment And they received them by faith. They trusted that God was always going to fulfill His promises. Even though they'd never seen Him. Even though it wouldn't happen in their lifetime. They trusted God that God was going to fulfill all of His promises regarding salvation. And even though it wouldn't happen in their lifetime, it was revealed to them that they weren't serving themselves but they were serving who? A future generation. They were writing all of these things down, knowing that the fulfillment was not for them, but it was going to happen in the future, with a future generation. A generation who would see the fulfillment of these promises in the Old Testament. And Peter says specifically, they were serving you. That is the readers of Peter's letter. All those who were scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those who had been chosen by God. Peter says, they were serving you. Realize that? And that means they weren't just serving them, but they were also serving who? Us. The Old Testament prophets were serving us. They were declaring things as God used them for us as they wrote down the Spirit-inspired word about salvation. And that very word, you and I can go back and read now and understand the fulfillments of this great message, right? We go back and we see all the fulfillments that the prophets weren't able to see. 
And what is the great message that both the Old Testament and the New Testament reveal to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? They tell us about the magnificent message of salvation. That's what it's about. How our God had promised to send the Messiah who would suffer for us and die and rise again on the third day. And who will come back again to rule and reign on His throne. It tells us about a gracious God who sent His Son to die for wretched sinners like you and me. Wretched. Sinners. People who are not good. But God, by His grace, has saved us. He's chosen us to be His. How magnificent is our salvation. Well, we have two more points to go, but we'll look at those next week. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the great salvation that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank You for saving us. Thank You for calling us to be Yours, for choosing us. Lord, when we had sinned against You, we were helpless. We were enemies of You. But You, God, by Your amazing grace, has chosen to save us. Father, may we always remember this. May we never forget how great our salvation is. Lord, especially when we're going through trials and suffering, as Peter's readers were. They're going through difficulties in life. Lord, as we remember and are reminded of the greatness of the magnificence of our salvation. Oh Lord, that gives us comfort. And we thank you for the comfort that we have because we are your children, because we've been called by you. Father, I pray for anyone who is here this morning who does not know you, who is not saved, who is not your child, but is a child of the devil. Father, I pray that they would understand how wretched they are, how they have sinned against You, a holy and righteous God, and that You, God, by Your grace would save them, that they would repent of their sin and trust in Christ alone who died on a cross, who was buried and who rose again for sinners like them. Lord, we pray that You would do Your saving work in their hearts and that they would be able to say today is the day of salvation that they would leave from this place changed by you God may you do your work in their hearts we thank you for being a gracious God for being a saving God who loves us and cares for us we pray this in Christ's name Amen